0: Welcome to the Press 1 for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdell and my guest this week is Chris Voss. For the five people who do not know who you are, Chris is the world's number one negotiation coach, CEO of the Black Swan Group, a firm that solves business negotiation problems with hostage negotiation strategies. Chris founded the Black Swan Group in 2008 upon his retirement from the FBI, where he was the FBI's lead international kidnapping negotiator last he's also the best-selling author of the book never split the difference negotiating as if your life depends on it and just recently it made the books authority best influence books of all time chris welcome to the podcast hey man i'm happy to be here happy to be on thanks for having me in yes sir so one question i ask every guest is what's one thing people might not
1: know about you wow i'm a grandfather how about that (laughs) Yeah. And also, you know, I grew up in Iowa. I'm a small town Iowa boy. I know, I know the accent doesn't sound like it, but I grew up in a small Midwestern town. I love that. Being a grandfather is a great honor. Yeah. It's cool. You know, my son Brandon runs my company. Actually, we got a team at the Black Swan Group. We got an entire team of coaches, negotiation coaches. On Father's Day last year, he became a father and I became a grandfather.
0: That's awesome. So cool. So let's dig into your book a little bit. You got this awesome book, Never Split the Difference. Negotiating as if your life depends on it. There's a lot of stuff that you've been through in your time in the FBI, and you've taken that and put it into a book. You're kicking butt and taking names now at the Block Swan Group. Yeah, let's get into it because you know
1: what I. We want to help as many people as we possibly can. You know, wherever you are, we fi- we want to find a way to help you. So let, let's get into it. We'll lay some stuff out. All right. So the first question
0: I got is. How long do you have to make that first impression?
1: I want to answer that a couple different ways. Mm -hmm. Because what's more important than the first impression is the lasting impression. But you got seven to 10 seconds to make a first impression. And there are two bells you need to ring in that seven to 10 seconds. And you can only ring them in a really counterintuitive way. But seven to 10 seconds for the first impression.
0: Yeah. What is that?
1: So first of all, trust and competence are the two things, which seem like a really tall order at the very beginning, which is why a lot of people, you know, it's not laying out your resume. It's not saying, trust me. People don't trust you by saying, if you say, trust me, and everybody knows that, but here's something that most people don't know, because empathy is about demonstrating understanding. And you don't show that you've understood people by saying, I understand. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. So those of you that are out there that are think thinking you're saying I understand, it's gonna make the other side feel like you understand them. You know, I'm sorry, I, I got I get bad news for you. It's as effective as saying trust me.
0: <laughs> and so as a hostage negotiator, how did you you talked about those two things, but you got people that are robbing banks that are taking hostages. How did you make that first impression count?
1: First of all, it's your tone of voice. You know, one of the things that we teach in the Black Swan Method is, you know, what tones of voice are good, what tones of voice are bad. Basically, especially at the beginning, the late night FM DJ voice. Now, I'm impacting your mirror neurons and actually starting trust with you just based on the sound of my voice. It's a neurological response. That voice is reassuring. It feels trustworthy. So before I've even finished a sentence, I've gotten started on building trust. You know, when I negotiated the Chase Manhattan Bank robbery hostage taking back in the last century, you know, I don't even want to say what year it was. the The second bank robber on the inside surrendered to me personally. He came on the phone after we'd been on the phone for five hours. He didn't know that the negotiators had switched from the other guy to me, from Joe to Chris. But he gets on the phone, and about 90 seconds in, he says, I trust you. That was completely based on my tone of voice. So, the the mechanism, if you will, people these days like to talk about hacks and shortcuts. What you're really after is the most effective mechanism. The mechanism for trust before you finish the sentence is your tone of voice. So
0: in customer service and customer experience, you always think of in customer service specifically, right? You get the people that are fired up. They are ready to, to rip that right. customer service representative a new one, right? And you're saying, how do I get them to calm down and maybe not match that voice or their cadence, but slow down the conversation to get them to trust you. Once they trust you, then you can start solving their problem.
1: Yeah, there's you know, you you touch on something that is so misunderstood because there's a lot of training out there that says match their cadence and then they'll feel that you're like and then start taking your voice down. And people go like, holy mackerel, you know that worked. Well, it worked in spite of the first part. What really worked was when you started to take your voice down, that's when it came down. (laughs) There wasn't this bonding moment. While they were melting down, so you should melt down simultaneously. You know, they didn't go like, holy cow, I'm melting down. He's melting down. We must be alike. I'm willing to follow his lead. No, 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 no. no. I feel so much better now. That (laughs) was all wasted time. Yeah, yeah. Thank God you're as out of control as I am. You know, that's just, that's nonsense. Yeah. But people miss it because of when the mechanism went into gear was when you started to take your voice down. Uh, they say like, wow, you know, that worked. Yeah, it worked, but you, you you know, it, it was delayed because you screwed up the first part.
0: Yeah, it could have worked a lot quicker if you would have been a buffoon at the beginning.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah.
0: So in the book, you talked about listening is the cheapest yet most important concession. Can
1: you explain that? Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't cost you anything to listen. And listening is not simply not talking, waiting for your turn. You know, a lot of people misconstrue silence is listening when they're really waiting for their turn. You know, listening is actually hearing what other people say. Tactical empathy is a demonstration of understanding. And you don't demonstrate your understanding by saying, I understand. You know, you, you listen, you dial in, you use one of the black swan tools, probably a label. It seems like it sounds like it looks like, or if, you, if your game is stepped up to the next level based on our training, you can adjust that slightly, but a hostage negotiator is going to say right off the bat, "You, you know, sound upset. You, you sound like I want to get out of here. Get out of there. You, you sound like sounds like the day is not going as you planned it. You know, that's uh, dialing into showing, demonstrating an understanding of the dynamic.
0: And what is the importance about labeling those fears?
1: Ah." Uh, So completely counterintuitive, labeling fears diffuses them. We're much more into neuroscience these days with tactical empathy, application of empathy with the tactical understanding from neuroscience. Neuroscience has shown us really clearly through experiments, and a bunch of people have done these. The first time I ran across the experiment was in a book called The Upward Spiral, where they put people in fmRI's functional magnetic resonance imaging equipment where you could they could watch the electrical flow of thoughts in the brain it lights up like electricity. they show people a picture that induces a negative thought you know it could be a puppy in the rain, could be a baby seal could you know make you know who knows it doesn't matter you know it could be a little old lady all by herself looking lonely. all they know is that it induces negative thoughts the person sees a picture, the appropriate areas of the brain are pre-identified as where essentially negative emotions are amplified, lights up, the amygdala. And then they simply ask the people, what are you feeling? Which is a self-label. And every time the people would self-label, simply call the negative emotion out, the electrical activity would diminish. Now, there's two important things there to remember. First of all, it happened every time. Secondly, the degree of impact was not always the same. You can label a negative emotion with someone and it might look like it had no effect. You know, they may continue to stare at you. Well, it had an impact that just wasn't as much as you hoped for. Sometimes you label negative emotions and and you watch the person completely relax. Or, you know, my son Brandon's got a great story where he was standing in front of a judge who was upset with him in a courtroom. And you know he did what we refer to in a Black Swan method as an accusations audit, which is taking a scientific wild ass guess, a swag, and all the negative emotions that somebody's feeling, and calling them all out. I mean, going for it, firing every cannonball you have. And he's and as he's doing that. He says she just kind of starts to, she just starts to twitch, <laughs> and you know uh, because. The electrical activity in her amygdala is just like bang, 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 completely changing in an instant. And, and she, she looked at him, and he ends up walking out of the courtroom having to go attend uh, a course. When walking in, he was facing a steep fine for the driving violation and potential jail time. And he didn't walk in with a clean record. You know, very few 20-somethings do not have heavy feet. I had a heavy foot when I was in my 20s. (laughs) You know, we're all race car drivers. We all think we're driving a NASCAR, male and female, until you hit the age of about 25, which is where everybody's automobile insurance drops because neurologically, that's when our brains pretty much finish forming. But, you know, 18 to 25, most of us don't even know there's a brake pedal on a car. So (laughs) easy. There's there's an e-brake. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was no different than anybody else. He just happened to get caught. So, but, and, and so he was facing stiff penalties and he got nothing based on deactivating the negatives in the judge's brain. And he watched the electrical activity diminish by simply by calling him out, not denying it. You know, among the things he said was he, he didn't say, I don't want you to think I'm a stupid, undisciplined kid. He said, I know I look like a stupid, undisciplined kid. The two hmm. millimeter shift. Because, you know, you're going to stay in front of a judge or anybody else. And you're going to say to yourself, what do I want them to not think? Yeah. I don't want you to think I'm a stupid, undisciplined kid. The two millimeter shift on this neurologically sound approach in tactical empathy is to say, I'm sure I do look this way. And you can just watch that stuff deactivate.
0: The point, though, is that he didn't say he was.
1: He now said, you're I, catching I'm on. sure there's a yes. lot to that. The, you know, the tiny little distinctions that almost everybody gets wrong with empathy. Understanding is not agreement. Demonstrating an understanding is not agreeing that it's true. And in today's vernacular, everybody thinks that empathy and sympathy are synonymous. It is not. It never was. The origin of the word, the, the etymology of the word, I always get etymology and entomology uh, mixed up, but it never was sympathy. It never was compassion. It's a compassionate thing to do. You know, uh, a writer that I admire greatly, Stephen Kotler, said empathy is the transmission of information. Sympathy is the reaction to the transmission. It's a great way to think about it. Transmitting information is not disagreement or agreement. I'm sure I look like a stupid kid. That's the transmission of information. And as you very accurately point
0: out, not an agreement. There's a lot of power behind that. I think uh, you guys should have a Google AdWords that say, how to talk to the judge after the speeding ticket. <laughs> Put it as a $100 course to get out of a speeding ticket.
1: But How to get out of jail. Get out yeah. of jail free. <laughs> for, for only $99. Game. There you go. Be a, bla- be a black swan. Yeah. Attend a black <laughs> swan training and learn how to get out of your traffic
0: tickets. I see a market. So tell me about the, the power of an open-ended question.
1: You know, the, the, the real application of an open-ended question is get people to think. It's not to get an answer. Now it's an okay mechanism to get an answer. You know, like what's the biggest challenge you face? If the person has enough gas in their mental tank, they can answer that question. You got to catch them in the morning while they're on their first cup of coffee. There's a whole bunch of neuroscience reasons why you cannot get a good answer to that question, probably after 11 o'clock in the morning, for sure after one o'clock in the afternoon circadian rhythm, decision fatigue, a whole bunch of things. On the other hand, you can ask that question at any time if you want them to stop and think. Daniel Kahneman would call that slow thinking, in-depth critical thinking. The classic, that question stopped me in my tracks. You know, that's a physical manifestation of the power of a great open-ended question. Stop them dead in their tracks. And if you choose those... You want it to start with either the word what or the word how and stay away from any other open
0: In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your client's pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your client's needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes.
1: Put in a question.
0: One of the open-ended questions that I love that you say is, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. And you use that as an FBI hostage negotiator, and you use that in the Black Swan group training. And what is the, the power behind that is it, it puts them back in their seat, right? Where they have to help you make that decision.
1: Yeah. You know, you're, and you're absolutely right on how it's one of the critical things in a Black Swan method. And as I said before, stop you in your tracks question. Stop them dead in their tracks. And how am I supposed to do that hits on a lot of levels. We refer to it on our team as forced empathy. Stop them in their tracks. Force them to take a look at you. Again, the issue is not the answer. Now, nine times out of 10, their answer is going to be something that you love. And uh, the good news, bad news about this technique, like it's only one thing that we teach in our company. But it is so powerful and in and of itself, it can make such a massive difference in people's lives that sometimes that's the only thing that they learn because they're like, bang, you're in a different world as soon as you learn that. You got the other side cutting their price in half. You got the other side, you know, just massively changing their position based on the strength of that one single black swan method. And then the one time out of ten, it's so effective that you're used to hitting grand—not just home runs, but grand slam home runs. The one time you know you miss, people are just like, holy cow! Ah, I—I don't know what to do. I, you know, I got that from somebody the other day. She said, "I used to, how am I supposed to do that?" And it didn't work. Now that, that tells me so much. Number one, she was so flummoxed by it not working. She was used to it working ridiculously, like a magic spell, like she'd been to Hogwarts and been taught the Patronus <laughs> charm, you know? And so I said, well, no, it's not that it didn't work. It's that you're so used to getting a different result, You misinterpreted the, the data that you got back. Out of one time in 10, by the way, nine out of 10 successes is higher than anything else that anybody else is using. But the one time in 10, the person's going to come back with, that's your problem, or if you want the deal, you'll do it which is to immediately put it right back on you. And she called, she said, well, that was a failure. Well, no, it's not a failure. What it just told you is you're dealing with someone who's not collaborative. Now that made you smarter, wondering, going from wondering if they weren't collaborative to knowing, at least on this point, it also tells you as a negotiator, your job so that you don't leave money on the table is to find the limits. And with that application of the black swan method, you just found the limit without driving the other side from the table. Because under all other circumstances, when you push somebody to the limit, the gauges when they start to melt down. You know, when I, a long time ago, I wrote, read Herb Cohen's book, You Can Negotiate Anything. You know, if you're into reading the literature, of negotiation. Everybody that I know read this book. It's probably their first negotiation book. Herb told people push them till they're genuinely angry, <laughs> genuinely angry, because that's when you know they're at their limit. There is always a toxic residue from genuine anger. And I remember doing that. I remember thinking, like, well, cool, you know, I'm going to continue to pound this guy until he's angry, until they pound the table. And they go, because that would hurt me. That would cost me. I would lose money. And, you know, Herb's instruction was like, awesome. You, you just found the limit. You did your job. Where we are here is find a limit without inducing that sort of anger, which is radioactive, toxic waste, which is not what you need for long-term successful relationships. So, that, you know, that's the other thing, the misinterpretation of the data. How do you not leave money on the table? You push the other side till they say, "Cause if you want the deal, you're gonna do it," and you go like, "Awesome! I just did my job."
0: Yeah, there is a ton in there too. Like, how do I continue to push somebody to that limit by still gaining their approval or trust along the way and building that yeah. relationship? Because there yep. is there's a fine yep. line between that of pushing yep. them to that frustration point to saying hey, I still like you. I still love your service. I still love the product. I still appreciate you, but here's our limit.
1: Yeah, and you hit on a really important point in that long-term relationships are how you get wealthy. It's a combination of assertion and empathy and actually in the opposite order. Empathy precedes assertion. Another thing that um, is like required reading in our company. And it's at the point now where coaches that we're going to bring on have to read this. And it's, Bob Manukin wrote a great book called Beyond Winning. Second chapter is the best chapter on empathy that I've ever read anywhere. And I got a negotiation book. And Manukin's chapter on empathy is better than what we put up. Tension between empathy and assertiveness. And I remember looking at the chapter title thinking like, you know, Bob, what are you doing? There ain't no tension. You're making it sound like it's an either or thing. And then I get into the chapter and I realize it's almost a fake title. Because he clearly lays out the case that empathy precedes assertion and that empathy makes your assertion more effective. And his definition of empathy, he just flat out says it is not agreement, it's not even liking them. And when you can understand empathy that way, you can be a black swan.
0: I love that. There's a ton to to get to that black swan level. So I recommend everybody taking a peek at that book, Never Split the Difference. But uh, a couple more questions I have for you. One of them is. I'm going
1: to interrupt you for one second because I want to go off on a tangent on a point because you're talking about everybody. Whoever you are, you're at some stage of your journey as a negotiator. You might be just at the beginning. You might be intermediate. You might be advanced. We got something for you at the Black Swan Group. We will meet you where you are and we will help you move ahead. And the point that, that I really wanted to go off on just now, when you said everyone, everyone is at a different stage in their journey. We'll meet you where you are.
0: And the point is, is that everybody's in negotiation, whether they know it or not. Yes. Amen. And so That's are you why gonna... say amen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press 1 for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org
1: for more resources.